0: And welcome, everyone. Of course, it is Wednesday, and we will be here with uh, Dr. Kelly Victory, as we always are on Wednesday. And today, our guest is Sasha Ladapova. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She is 25 years of experience in clinical trials. She has worked for multiple pharma companies worldwide, interacted with the FDA, and has been part of the scientific industry, uh, particularly on the side of improving cardiac safety assessment in clinical trials. She has some uh, significant uh, opinions, and we would like to hear them. So let's get to them. The parallel economy has empowered us to care for our health, well-being, as well as longevity. Likewise for us pet parents who now have a place to go when it comes to keeping the family, dogs, cats, even horses, in the best shape possible. As a dog dad, I'm thrilled to be working with Pet Club 24-7
1: you have two years to live. Oh, boy. Along with the stem cell, I took these. I have been in remission for eight years
0: now. For dogs, mush puppy treats are a fan favorite. Rex went, oh, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> he came right... this price. That is drdu.com, P-E-T-C-L-U-B 247, Pet Club 247. And welcome, everybody. As I said, we will have Sasha Latapova here in just a minute. Uh, of course, my wife and producer, Susan Pinsky's standing by, and she says on the Rumble Rants that she's feeling old today. So uh, I don't know why you would say such a thing, but uh, uh, did not escape my glance. Uh, but you all have an opportunity to, to get on the Rants there. Um, I believe she may yet be able to moderate those Rants, but we don't know yet. Uh, how to do so, and of course I'm watching your restream. No, we need to. Rumble's been very kind. Okay, well that's good. YouTube uh, was opinions, strong sharp, opinions, but, but kind. That's yeah, good. but I mean,
2: that. yeah, they're, it's pretty good over there.
0: And uh, the Vicky Mail wasn't inflammatory enough for them. Didn't get them all. It seemed like I'm pretty excited about that.
2: Actually, Rumble was
1: listening and good not that's the whole point cursing at us
0: that is the point YouTube everybody was a little hotter under
1: the under the collar but. don't
0: imagine you but know everything just sit and listen i think that's a good way to approach a lot of the a lot of the materials that we we review here and uh we of course are out on twitter spaces and uh we always try to get a couple calls in at some point in the show but uh i think um sasha will be an interesting guest and will be very much preoccupied with her you can follow her on her uh, twitter it's Sasha underscore Latapova, L-A-T-Y-P-O-V-A, and check out her Substack, Sasha Latipova at Substack.com. And as I said, uh, she has an MBA from Dartmouth. She is a uh, 25 years of experience in clinical trials, clinical technologies, regulatory approvals. She has owned and managed several contract research organizations and worked for more than 60 pharma companies worldwide. She has had regular interaction with the FDA and uh, has some interesting insight to offer. So please welcome Sasha Latapova.
2: Hi, Dr. Drew. Thank you for inviting me.
0: So a lot of what I thank you for being here. So a lot of what I have seen from your uh, material is concern about manufacturing integrity and these sorts of things. And I, I, that has been raised to me in the past as well, uh, particularly as it pertains to mRNA integrity and protein particles that are produced in the mRNA. But... Give me an outline of what your basic position is.
2: Well, that's where I started looking uh, at the data very early on in 2021, when these um, injections were being rolled out. I looked at the VAERS data and I uh, immediately realized that these products were not what we call a good manufacturing practice compliant. Uh, CGMP, a good manufacturing practice, is a set of laws in the United States by which um, FDA regulates interstate commerce, in pharmaceuticals, foods, and cosmetics. And um, the compliance with these uh, laws, which are very, very extensive, uh, is what makes products safe for consumption because you don't want to have uh, something that varies a thousand percent from week to week. You know, your favorite beer, for example, this week, uh, and the next week has a thousand percent performance difference. Well, that product is extremely unsafe. And that's how that's how we think about it. Um, and what I realized for these products, there is no CGMP compliance.
0: How did did you could you figure out? Well, let me let me see. I'm going to come at it from this perspective. I saw some material flying around today where there was a FOIA report. Again, people are interpreting it as they will, but it looked to me like a FOIA report that at least suggested, which is, did not surprise me that the regulatory agencies were anticipating a lot of adverse reactions more than they would normally ever uh, put up with but they were in a big hurry to get this out. And they were willing to take on more risk than we would normally take on. That does not surprise me. That's what it looked like to me. So I, I think that's what happened. What what I find odd is that there's been no attempt to sort of bring it back to where we would normally expect mm-hmm. the science, to, the the sort of safety science to go. Number one, and then number two, I want to ask you, how did you find out that these um, CGRP, you call it, is that right? The the regulatory guidance, or regulatory practices, yeah. yeah. Or how did you? How do you know that that wasn't being? Did you, are there FOIA documents out there that document this? Or there, did you find some internal do, How did you prove that?
2: Well, so there are three, three uh, stages, I would say, uh, of discovery here. First, I was just looking simply at uh, VAERS, which is Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System data, which was the only data available to look at this. Uh, and I was looking at adverse events and deaths recorded for these injections in VAERS. Uh, versus lot numbers of these products. Each product has a lot number. If you go to a pharmacy and buy aspirin, you will see lot number on the box. Uh, So the same goes for these products. Uh, All vaccines have lot numbers. And the lot number is uh, recorded uh, in the VAERS reports, not all the time, because sometimes people don't know it and don't know when they're reporting to record it. Uh, Sometimes they make typos, but for about 50% of the reports, these lots are available and they can be matched to CDC list of valid lots that were released in the United States. And I did that. And when I did that, I I saw that some lots had practically uh, no adverse events recorded, such as maybe two or three or 10, and some had 6,000. And within those, there were maybe 300 deaths. And that was uh, horrible. And that's where I'm saying the variability, you know, 1,000% variability lot to lot. So when you see something like this, you know immediately there's something really bad going on with the manufacturing. And these products are not CGMP compliant because the variability is outside of the range of statistically uh, controlled processes that we have for quality control. So this should be flagged. And and by the way, for uh, good manufacturing practice compliance, you're correct, there are... uh, uh, Safety monitoring systems throughout FDA, uh, the FBI, <laughs> drug enforcement arm, uh, health authorities locally, uh, each manufacturer has their own system. Uh, so th- this kind of variability always gets flagged and products get removed from market or recalled. You get, for example, letters from your dealership, car dealership, saying this part number has been recalled. That's because they flagged something. It's doing doing this kind of analysis, looking at their Systems. So that was the first level. The second level, there were some um, uh, regulatory documents leaked from European Medicines Agency at the time of approval. Uh, And these documents are for Pfizer. All of their what's called chemistry manufacturing controls section from their biologics license application. And uh, that section actually has never been released publicly. They continue redacting uh, all of this information. But this was leaked. And it was clear that uh, European Medicines Agency reviewers uh, wrote an objection to Pfizer's approval and said specifically objection number one was Pfizer was not good manufacturing practice compliant. And that has still not been resolved. Uh, These uh, manufacturing facilities of Pfizer have not been inspected by the FDA. Uh, at the time of the approval, uh, even later, they now started doing inspections, but only inspected some suppliers. Um, Pfizer and Moderna have not been inspected, uh, and we don't see those reports. So as far as I'm concerned, when European Medicines Agency said they were not in in compliance, they still remain not in compliance. And finally, um, the final piece of the puzzle is actually uh, by US law, or rather laws and statutes that are being utilized during this so-called crisis and so-called emergency, uh, the, actually this compliance is not required from these products. Uh, and that was the final piece that I realized after, started, after I started working with um, legal researchers and uh, specifically Catherine Watt, who also writes a legal analysis on um, Bailiwick News a Substack. And um, she outlined very clearly uh, that by uh, U.S. code, 21 U.S.C. 360 BBB that's being utilized by everyone cited by FDA, cited by government accountability reports, uh, use of emergency use authorized countermeasures, which is how these products are classified. They are not vaccines, not pharmaceuticals, they're countermeasures. So use of these countermeasures, emergency use authorized, under public health emergency cannot constitute clinical investigation. And therefore, no FDA rules, uh, such as good manufacturing practices or clinical trial regulations actually apply to these products. So by three methods, looking at the data, looking at the documents, and looking at the law, we can conclude definitively that these products are not good manufacturing practice compliant.
0: But back to the uh, sort of the FOIA thing I was talking about today, where there was an acceptance of higher than, than we would usually accept adverse events, is the fact that they are not mandating CGMP compliance, just further evidence that just that's just another area where under this emergency, they were willing to tolerate more what would otherwise have been unacceptable sorts of standards. My, my, I again, I I can understand that given the, m- the circumstance. Whether it was right or wrong is a whole different question. But I understand it. The question, what I don't understand, is uh, two years later, why we're not filling in the gaps to bring things up to the standards that they should would have otherwise had, were it not an emergency use countermeasure. Do you have an, mm-hmm. any understanding of that?
2: Yes, yes, because the. The, the status has not changed they're, they remain emergency users rise countermeasures and uh, it remains the same situation where you're correct they were uh, you know there's they were stating that they're willing to tolerate higher than normal uh, and relax some rules but nobody has ever explained to American public just how much those rules were relaxed. they're saying they relaxed the rules they actually threw them out of the window uh and uh <laughs> forgot about them <laughs> so so yeah, that that's it's, it it's a matter of, yeah so so but the status well and yet though changed. let me
0: interrupt and and say the well the status has changed you've said in that they are starting to uh what did you call it inspect the inspections are beginning so they just need to step them up right are the inspections uncovering anything is there something we should be aware on yes. that front
2: Yeah, so so the inspections that I'm aware of, that's another very curious feature of of this uh, exercise. As I said, in 2020, FDA did no inspections. In 2021, they started some of the inspections. They inspected only a couple of suppliers uh, I'm aware of, of Pfizer and Moderna. For example, Catalan, which is a fill-finish supplier for uh, Moderna in Indiana, and uh, Rentschler, which is a, a drug substance supplier for pfizer in uh, uh, germany and then also emergent bio which was a supplier for astrazeneca and Janssen. all three failed miserably uh, there are uh, f- forms 483 available for from fda with horrific violations horrific any from, you know any from
0: the dea do you say dea has it
2: uh, FDA. Form. FDA has those forms, 483.
0: FDA. FDA. Yeah, I can send them 43. to you
2: as well. They're publicly available, and those are horrific violations. Uh, uh, by e- even having a form 483 means that you are not in compliance, and you need to bring yourself back mm-hmm. into compliance. So they issue these forms. They're huge, uh, you know, 50 pages each or more, uh, with numerous, numerous, uh, very bad violations, and nothing happens. There is no enforcement that's that's another um that's another mark of what's going on because and, the status and, but hasn't let me
0: changed. let me yeah I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make sense of it that's that's my sort of desire today is make sense of what's happening so if I'm making sense of it, I would say, well, you're right, the status hasn't changed, and therefore they don't have to do anything right and 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 I, and right, and you're uh you've been a you've managed companies, you know how companies behave if they don't have to do something. They don't do it, right? Am, am I saying too much if I say that?
2: No, that's correct. If there is no, if a pharmaceutical manufacturer, if there is no uh, requirement to be in compliance, and then there is no liability, such as through PREP Act, uh, their you know, government gave them total liability protection, then why yep. would they do anything uh, to comply? Right. And then FDA actually goes and inspects and does no enforcement.
0: Let me flip, uh, let me sort of flip it around a little bit and then we'll bring Dr. Kelly back in here, um, is, you know, you know, people argue that is not a very reliable way to look at things. And, and I think that's a viable position to take, um, let's flip the data on its ear and say, if it's so bad, why aren't we seeing more problems? I mean, it really, given the number of people that have been vaccinated, it's sort of interesting that there aren't worse problems. In fact, in the FOIA document I just saw today, whether it was, however you interpret it, it was, looked like they were expecting 1,000 adverse events a day on average. Uh, but why isn't it worse? Uh,
2: what I found, because these products are not good manufacturing practice compliant, they're manufactured in an extremely sloppy way. And the only uh, real, um, let's say, target or incentive for the manufacturers was to produce doses, doses, mm-hmm. lots and lots of doses, 100 million up to 500 million very quickly. And the mm-hmm. scope of their contract is manufacturing demonstration and prototype. So all they have to do is ship lots and lots of doses. So what I, what I observed is a very um, reckless, hu- at huge speed, scale up of manufacturing. Uh, Mm -hmm. They went from micrograms of RNA to hundreds of liters. One Pfizer lot today, FL0007 has 12 million doses, which translates to roughly 900 liters of RNA. This is straining imagination uh, of, of what's possible, or even what kind of equipment is available for these kinds of productions. So what happens in reality, when you have a huge batch of RNA, uh, it, uh, uh, it can see the enzymatic re- reactions can cease. It can also separate very heavily, you know, if you have a large volume, more, more, uh, lipid will float to the top and, and, and there will be uh, less on the bottom. So, and the filling is from the bottom. Uh, so when you start filling, you might be feeling you know, initially just water and then later on more concentrated RNA. Then when they shift that they, they to must
0: the, have some way, They must have some way of emulsifying or something. If you, if <laughs> you, they
2: do not really stir it. If you stir it aggressively, you break RNA and RNA is, is extremely fragile. So uh, it's fragile, it breaks into pieces. I have researchers who've sequenced the vials, several of them, one in Europe, one in, uh, recently in the US. They're finding a huge number of small RNAs which are dangerous. Uh, but they're find they're not finding the pieces, the sequences that have been specified by the manufacturer because it's fragile right. and it breaks. Um, and so they're so not that's finding any doing. of the
0: full wait, 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 not they're not finding yeah. any of the full mRNA or just the, oh wow. No,
2: nope, they found so the one researcher I I've seen analysis from Europe, they found three possible matches to the longer lengths of RNA and then but none of them were exact match and then a whole bunch of small ones uh just broken off pieces which are not as i said the they're small not one benign. has been re-
0: re- that that's been reported mm-hmm. before I've, I've seen i've seen other data respect showing mm-hmm. the scattergram on that i and in mm-hmm. fact my understanding is that was brought up in a senate he- or a, a con- congressional hearing and mm-hmm. the drug company said they were aware and it has no clinical significance. In fact, if I'm recalling correctly, they, may, they put a positive spin on it. It'll just add to the Im- immunity. Did you see that testimony?
2: It's, yes. And, and that's completely dishonest because uh, small RNAs, are micro. it's called micro RNAs or short interfering RNAs. Uh, they're uh, described in the literature, including in numerous government reports as a potential bioweapon technology. I'm sorry, I'm using this word. Some people get triggered by it, but I, I didn't write this. NIH wrote a textbook on it. And there is a chapter in it saying how, to, how these technologies can be weaponized, gene therapies and a uh, small RNA specifically. So I am shocked that our regulatory agencies find them completely benign and nothing to talk about. Uh, but these, um, these uh, small pieces can interfere with cellular processes can cause cancer, can cause dysbiosis, and this is, has been described explicitly as a weaponizable technology.
0: Let's uh, take a little break with uh, that bomb. Uh, <laughs> if we dro- drop that mic drop uh, uh, sort of uh, description. And uh, we will get back with uh, Dr. Kelly Victorine here in just a moment. Again, you can follow Dr. Ladopova at and Sasha underscore Latipova, L-A-T-Y-P-O-V-A. And uh, we'll be back with um, Dr. Kelly Victory to continue the conversation. I think you know how much, Susan, and I love our GenuCell skincare and how easy it is to try our one-of-a-kind customer packages bundled with our favorite products. Susan realized the other day that one of our kids stole some of our deep correcting serum from our stash, if you will. We had no idea that the lactic and hyaluronic acid combo is so great for adult acne, dark marks, and Scars. So not only are Susan and I hooked on these products, but apparently somebody else in our family is too. Somebody's ripping it off.
2: I know I'm a snob about the products I use on my face. Everybody knows it. Every time I go to the dermatologist's office, they're just rows and rows of different creams. Retinols, vitamin C cream, under eye cream, night creams. scrubs. And then when I get to the counter, they're overpriced. All kinds of products that you can all find at genusel.com. I've fallen in love with this product at a fraction of the price. I've been using Genucel for six months now
0: and I'm very impressed. Great skincare is important at any age and we love how amazing the results are. Thank you to Genucel. Plus, now you can find your very own bundle based on your unique skincare needs using cutting edge AI skincare technology. You can get a full skin analysis instantly and create a skincare regimen tailored towards your needs. Visit genusell.com slash Drew to check out our favorites and enter that promo code Drew, D-R-E-W, at checkout for added savings. All orders include free shipping and a free mineral mask. Order now. Go to Genucel.com slash Drew. That is Genucel, G-E-N-U-C-E-L, Genucel.com slash Drew. Buy gold and get a free save to store it in. You heard right on qualifying purchases from Birch Gold Group now through March 31st they will ship you a free safe directly to your door. Here's the deal. Fed keeps raising rates because it is the only tool they have to keep inflation under control. But it isn't working. You can't spend your way out of inflation. You've seen the impact on the stock market. You've seen the impact on your savings. Hedge inflation by owning gold, whether physical gold and silver in your safe or through an IRA and precious metals where you can hold real gold and silver in tax-sheltered retirement accounts. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands of satisfied customers. Visit birchgold.com slash drew for your free info kit on gold and to claim eligibility for your free home safe by March 31st on qualifying purchases. Again, visit B-I-R-C-H-gold, birchgold.com slash drew. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. This episode ends here. The rest of the show is available at TV.
1: There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate, public health, to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew.
0: And Dr. Kelly Victory, I give you Sasha Latipova.
1: Hi, Sasha. Thanks so much for being here. I know um, your, your time has been crazy. Your life, like mine, has been put in a blunder uh, because of your involvement uh, in this uh, this pandemic debacle. So thanks for being here. I want to get back to this issue of the VAERS and specifically to the Uh, signals with regard to uh, manufacturing irregularities, lack of compliance and all that. But before I do, I want to go back in time a little bit uh, with regard to your past experience with pharmaceutical companies and really your experience with with trials and those sorts of things. And let me say, uh, by the way, that I don't for a minute believe that somebody has to have a degree in science or be a physician. In order to have some very, very important insights to what's going on, uh, and and your experience, I think, is germane. But I think it's important for our listeners to understand exactly how much experience you had with regard to things like clinical trials. So, talk for, just for a minute about what your consulting company did and the sort, and, you know, the sorts of things that you oversaw, uh, pr- well, prior to COVID.
2: Uh, Yes, I uh, co-founded and managed several companies in clinical trial space over years, and uh, most of of them were focused on um, performance of clinical trials in humans, uh, early phase, and and, uh, with various uh, technologies that help us analyze uh, different types of data that we need to collect in clinical trials and analyze it very precisely because uh, it's a different uh, precision requirement versus uh, let's say clinical diagnosis or practice of medicine when you know, you're know you just using. So I was using things like uh, various imaging modalities, electrocardiograms, holters, um, uh, arrhythmia monitors, uh, telemetry, and uh, uh, trying to uh, figure out how to analyze this data from drug trials versus placebo. And extract much more precise analytics to make sure we understand whether the drugs have potential safety signals as early as possible. Because uh, we did not want to to continue development of a product and potentially expose uh, patients in clinical trials to something that could be dangerous. If we could exclude uh, that that drug and so sort of, you know kill them early, that was always mantra to kill them early. Uh, So we don't spend time and money and expose people to risk where we can find uh, signals or we can also find if something is promising and we can exclude the risk early. That's that was a huge achievement, too. So that was all my focus. And I worked, as I said, I worked in this area for about 60 clients, large and small pharmaceutical companies, ran hundreds of studies all over the world with all kinds of uh, clinical research sites. It's, it's very interesting work, uh, and uh, but I, I actually left the industry before you know COVID started, and I was retired. I wasn't doing anything. I was just doing my art, and you know, you know enjoying myself. You know did did was your
1: company as a consultant were you involved in designing the clinical trials themselves or was that so so you actually designed clinical trials to determine what would be an adequate trial to test something correct
2: yes yes correct so we we had to design the study estimate the sample size that we need uh, of those number of subjects we need to enroll, what's going to be, you know, it's going to be parallel or crossover design and placebo-controlled. And, you know, all sorts of issues go into the design. The design of a study takes months and sometimes takes years to properly design a study. So even before
1: you started looking at the vars data, before VAERS data became available, before there mm-hmm. were millions of people who had been injected, did you have any feelings or thoughts as you know john q citizen as an artist trying to get retired uh, enjoying your life about what was going on or not going on with regard mm-hmm. to the studies that were being done on the covid vaccine yes. uh
2: yes, I became concerned because i uh, actually came across this m r n a class at uh just gene therapies it was always designated as gene therapies until twenty twenty you know when the when they uh, changed the definition of vaccines to fit it in. Mm-hmm. But I came across this class professionally uh, because there were some early phase studies that were being, being conducted and uh, considered for these products, um, maybe around two thousand nine, 2008, 2009. And uh, at that time, there was a big scandal in, um, uh, in the UK. Uh, there was a, a, what we call first in human study conducted at Paracel. Uh, which is a, a clinical research organization. Uh, and they were conducting this first in human study for this gene therapy product. It was a small biotech. that They subsequently went out of business, but the classes, this was the same. Mm-hmm. And in that study, there were, uh, it's a small, it was small study, eight healthy men, and I believe one or two died immediately and uh a number of them got severe severe uh injuries i don't know how many survived uh and at that time that was that shook the industry. We could not believe something we, we people were screaming at Paracel, why did you dose them all at the same time uh and we 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 just we could not believe that something like this could happen, and this was a huge problem and i read about this class then and i realized how dangerous it was so uh, at that time it was only developed for very very severe conditions such as terminal cancer um uh, Huntington's disease, uh, other other very, very severe conditions. And there are numerous regulatory guidances. FDA, as you know, regulates industry by publishing uh, guidance documents. And uh, for the gene therapy class, there were guidance documents created since uh, 1998. And specifically after this scandal, uh, the most recent guidance uh, from 2015 before COVID, uh, was saying things like the, these products are very dangerous. They can cause death. They can cause cancer. They can cause uncontrollable and, and unstoppable protein expression, which is what happened with these, right. uh, with that study right. with Paracel. Right. Uh, it can cause a huge cytokine storm type of reactions, blindness. The, there were all sorts of warnings that FDA put out, and they said specifically you cannot give it healthy volunteers. So that's a designation in clinical trials. If, if the regulators tells you, you cannot test this product in healthy volunteers, it means the product is very dangerous and it only designated to very, very, very niche, uh, severe con- terminal conditions. And, and so that was the class as of 2015. Yes. Then we come to 2020. I start reading the news stories that this is going to be given to pregnant women and children.
1: Right. I, well, yeah, it's, have... so to be, let me interject here, just to be clear, the, the class you're talking about is the use of mRNA technology uh, associated yes. with lipid nanoparticle delivery system. And mm-hmm. uh, yes, this has been in development for more than 20 years. But as you point out, we have had previous uh, experiences where they've had disastrous results, many, many times never even made it into the human trials because all of the animals died. So if you saw that bit of video that's been released, that has gone viral of Anthony Fauci going door to door in Washington, D.C. Uh, and this you know gentleman says to him, well, it hasn't been tested enough. And Anthony Fauci says, oh, this has been in testing for more than 20 years. He mm-hmm. fails to go on to mention, yes, with disastrous results, every single time this has never been done successfully
0: to to be fair to be fair well hang on hang on guys it has to have there have to been something that happened between what sasha is describing and the deployment recently or we would have i mean think of the level of catastrophe would have as it as bad as we are concerned things might be it would be a hell of a lot worse Uh,
2: right so i i think what what only happened is they, they over-diluted it versus what was being used. And, and, and again, I don't know if it's Pfizer's uh, product, not, not Pfizer's product was the, the study I'm describing with Paraxel. It was somebody else's product. just the same class. But I think uh, nothing fundamentally changed about the safety of these products. Uh, they were in development for 20 years and failed every time. They failed specifically because they're not manufacturable to CGMP standards. You cannot... Sure. You cannot, um, as a a manufacturer, you need to make sure that everything that you specify as a composition of your product on the label is in that vial and nothing uh, over very, you know, very tight limits, especially because of nucleic acid material, very, very tight limits. And is that that
0: CGMP, that CGMP compliance you're talking about, is that because of what you described earlier in terms of the massive sort of... um, distribution in these large lots or are there Mm -hmm. other concerns that they had back then in terms of the manufacturing
2: well so the manufacturing they could never make it stable so it breaks right right? and even in small when you're making a small very small quantity of this product in the lab or for animal studies it's micrograms it's really really small and so you could sort of control it but even that i interviewed several researchers who made themselves the um, mrna in the lab and they said. You know, for animal studies, we make small quantities. Yes, it breaks. Yes, it has a lot of impurities, but we don't worry when we inject the rats. Well, you know, we are not rats. Pregnant women are not rats. We should worry, right? Uh, You know, and 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 they're doing animal experiments for you know a couple of days, maybe a week. We have to. We we have children who have the whole life ahead of them.
1: Well, and on top of it, I have to say, you know, one of the ways, Drew, that they got around the fragility of the mRNA mm. was the mRNA used in these COVID vaccines is synthetic. They substituted the, all of the uridine with mm-hmm. pseudouridine to make it more right. stable so that it, they could be used. But as a result, the, the fragility of the mRNA in some ways worked to the benefit of the recipients because it would break down and go away. When you create substituted right. the pseudo, pseudo-uridine, you ended up with something that seems to go on in perpetuity. It never goes away, from what we can tell. And therefore you keep expressing, in this case, the toxic spike proteins. Well, uh, and at, these are things very that I'm minimum, sure. S-
0: yeah, that's what I want Wait. Sasha to talk about too. Because at, at very minimum, what you and I, Kelly, have been exposed to through Dr. Cole and other places that the excessive spike protein is, is right. the problem. Right. And I, what I've been wondering lately, and maybe, uh, Sasha can answer this question is, is there something about that pseudouridine or the instability or the, 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 the um, broken products that are out there that could create this excessive production in certain people? In other words, could we, you know, it, it's it, you know some people have the vaccine and they're fine, but is part of the problem that this this mRNA is producing too much spike in some way or continuing to produce? Well, let Sasha kind mm-hmm. of address that.
2: Yeah, so there are numerous layers of issues here. So as I said, the sloppy manufacturing, so some people get over concentrated mRNA, some people get nearly blanks. Because of the way they they manufacture these huge batches very quickly. And then there's variability because the doses are manually prepared. Again, you know, there's huge, huge variability added on top. So that explains part of it. Then some people, if there's also individual variability that is very poorly understood, some people uh, can uptake. The mRNA in their cells, and they will continuously produce this, uh, uh, these, um, you know, shed these uh, right. substances into the environment, and and they damage their own immune system. They damage potentially immune systems of people around them. Uh, and so, uh, so we don't know, and there has no never been um, what what is called a viable therapeutic window for these products, meaning that those that would be good for producing wanted you know the effects that we want and not producing the effects that we don't want. It does not exist for these products because of humongous variability inherent to manufacture and inherent at how people process these things.
1: My question, I'd like to get back for a second to this issue of the manufacturing irregularities. You have been clearly been talking about um, lack of oversight or lack of consistency, lack of good manufacturing practices, which is certainly what anybody with any experience in manufacturing, that's the conclusion they would come to when you see this huge variation. Because as you point out, otherwise the incidence of adverse offense should be relatively homogeneously distributed across Mm -hmm. all lots. Now, you know, I I will say that, you know, here's the elephant in the room. Is there, do you have any feeling whether or not this could have been not from a lack of adherence to good manufacturing, but something that was more purposeful? Um, Do you believe that there's any possibility that the variation in lots uh, is something that was part of this uh, great experiment that we are all participating in?
2: Yes, it's hard to uh, figure this out without, you know, a, a more uh, more formal investigation whether there was intent to introduce some substances. Mm-hmm. But uh, but the problem is that these products are should be deemed de facto uh, adulterated because if something is not compliant with CGMP, they're de facto adulterated products, meaning that by accident or purposefully the product can be adulterated given how how sloppily it's been manufactured and no controls. And also these products can be uh, misbranded and falsified because they are also not not distributed according to good distribution practices. They're distributed through uh, DOD contractors and as a black box DOD operation. So the product is completely open to adulteration, whether purposeful or accidental and misbranding and falsification and none of it has been addressed there's been no enforcement of any of those rules correct
1: no well and since you brought up the word you said the the word yourself a bioweapon and i i'm not afraid of mentioning that if you feel comfortable talking about it let's talk a little bit about this you know really in the, the the involvement of the Department of Defense and how that involvement uh, facilitated, frankly, their ability to sidestep any real investigation into good manufacturing uh, processes or uh, to uncover really the amount of testing that was or wasn't done on these products.
2: Yeah. So the uh, the manufacturing and distribution uh, uh, and uh, financing of these products is Essentially, all been done under a Department of Defense. Uh, what uh, the the biggest lie that was told to American public is: remember, they, we were told this is a health event, this is an epidemic or pandemic from a zoonotic origin, uh, and you were you would yeah. be kicked off YouTube if you even <laughs> suggested that this was from a lab, right? And what in reality happened: our government organized itself as if it was war from day one. The uh, whole COVID response policy is under National Security Council. National Security Council is advisory body to the president of the United States, consists of defense and intelligence, does not have health representatives on it. Then from there, the operation warp speed was headed by the Department of Defense. We were told, again, it's a, just a collaboration with HHS. Oh, they're just doing logistics because army is so great at you know driving the trucks around. But what in reality happened is uh, they actually on the organizational chart of operat- uh, Operation Warp Speed, Department of Defense is the Chief Operating Officer, meaning they're in charge, reporting to the to the President or National Security Council, and uh, the uh, HHS is uh, Chief Advisor. So you know they're they're ranked below. I mean they don't have operational role; they're just advising. And then under that. There was a whole huge U.S. government executive structure, which did everything, which means so all of this reporting to DoD, they design the clinical trials, they design, they uh, implement manufacturing through existing uh, contractors of the DoD, uh, the, the legal, the legislative, uh, the, uh, um, the data monitoring. Uh, Pfizer had their own safety monitoring, but otherwise they utilized the same, the same um, structure. And then all the contracts were uh, written and uh, structured with DOD. So these are DOD pharma or DOD medical device. And it's not just the injections, it's all the therapeutics, it's all the diagnostics, it's all the COVID so-called countermeasures, which there are hundreds of contracts were done through this methodology. And they were also done with the DOD's favorite contracting method, which is called other transaction authority which allows them humongous amount of secrecy, no accountability, no following any procurement rules. That's because it's just classified as other. So here we go, so here we have DOD funding, designing, monitoring, implementing, distributing, and uh, contracting sort of other. And then they're contracting for manufacturing demonstrations. All of these contracts say demonstrations, prototypes, countermeasures. These are vague fuzzy terms. They're not saying pharmaceutical mm-hmm. products. They're not using pharmaceutical laws uh, or CGMP. Uh, they are using this structure that has, you know, public health emergency, emergency use, countermeasures, prototypes, other. You know, so that's, so, that's how we arrive.
1: Okay, so what I was going to say, so the VIR system, which is owned by, sort of co-owned by HHS and the CDC their their proverbial you know early warning system canary in the coal mine that they have chosen to ignore uh does the DOD given the DOD's role in all of this with the covid vaccines have they had any involvement in looking at the vares data or is anybody other than than those of us who are you know re- uh, tremendously concerned about what's going on here. Is anybody at the DoD been sort of tasked with looking at the Ver system data, or are they have they just washed their hands of it at the DoD?
2: I'm sure they're monitoring the data. Uh, in fact, uh, the yeah. DoD and HHS together have uh, the, about 11 different databases that we know of. Maybe there are some others. That they have access to, and they're including VAERS uh, and uh, you know those VSafe also, which which got released, but that right. was an app uh, that people were using, and uh, so. But they have many many databases. They're very good. They're almost real time. They have great data. We have no access to. We, we we pay for that data as taxpayers, but we're not allowed to see it. We we can see Vayers. And we have been screaming at CDC, many of us, uh, myself, you know, there are, there are many researchers that are looking into this. Most recently, um, the Surgeon General of Florida, Dr. Ladapo, mm-hmm. wrote a letter to mm-hmm. uh, Rachel Walensky and Robert Califf asking, why do we have 4,000% increase in uh, life-threatening conditions reported to bears in Florida? And that, that, that's a very good question. Because yes, it's 4,000% increase, and that's actually representative of, of what is in the inveyors. The, the minute these shots went out, that's the toll that we can see, 4,000% increase in life-threatening conditions. And And so yes, they are monitoring this data, they're collecting this data, they're seeing it. And that's why I have been saying that this is intentional because if you see somebody counting the bodies for two years and they're piling up and we're screaming at them what are you doing you well, have to stop they're not doing anything
0: hang on now so so what i'm seeing now whether it is accurate or not is a systematic rollout of data that shows that it's covid causing the excess mortality and and all these increase in disease states um and some of that data looks good what worries me is that they never you never get any countervailing data published, which immediately, I mean, I, I've never seen anything in medicine where it only goes one direction. And that's what's well, got me upset have, about well, a lot of the data that's we, out there.
1: Right, and we yeah, have, have large, that, we have large po- go ahead, go ahead, Sasha.
2: Yeah, I have to say that, you know, whatever you think of VAERS and, and people are saying, oh, it's just crazy anti-vaxxers all got together, started writing hundreds of thousands of reports all of a sudden, you know, it's just, it's, just, it's only COVID. But you, I looked at uh, three days after vaccination. Within three days of vaccination, we have ten thousand deaths, deaths, I, I, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of severe conditions. Forty one hundred of them on the day of vaccination. Right. The person got vaccinated.
0: Ends, but I, I, a couple of hours. I, I get those take. concerns. I, I, I get it. Yeah. I get, it. and and again, by the way, it could be COVID plus vaccine or something. Who knows? Because they're not asking the question, which I find astonishing. But if,
2: there, if, but, they, if the uh, person is going to die that day, why vaccinate them? If they had such severe COVID, true. and we're gonna no, you know, no, you no you're doctors, that kind of you COVID. know, yeah, right. And, and,
1: and the so, reality is, we have large population. We we have large population based studies now that uh, that yeah. disprove this myth. Uh, for example, that myocarditis is more likely from COVID than from the vaccines. Because if you well, look at the, the data, one, from the begin-
0: that's the yeah, Ke- Kelly. That's interesting. That's the one diagnosis that seems they've conceded on, in spite of a long track record of data trying to dissuade us from that position. It's interesting to me. Do we know how we got to the point where now they're 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 saying, oh yes, yes, myocarditis now is something that happens from the vaccine? Is is do we know why that switch? I. It's all. It's again. It all gets so mysterious. I, you know, people want to believe. They, they want all to right. attack. Anyway, Kelly, can you answer mm-hmm. that?
2: Oh,
1: sorry. Well, as, as you say, what you, I say, I, it is evident from the uh, leaked, well, not even leaked documents, FOIA released documents now, that they were well aware of the increased risk of myocarditis and pericarditis related to the use of mRNA. This has been well known, well documented. And I think the only reason they've conceded on that singular point, Drew, is because essentially they've been outed um but if you look at the data on all of the other conditions from the beginning of the quote pandemic until the rollout we did not see increases in spontaneous miscarriages and pulmonary embolisms and, you know, aneurysms of the you know, cerebral aneurysms in young people and on and on. So one only needs to look at the data from prior to the rollout, I think, um, to really reveal what's going on here. And as Sasha said, if you're if you're walking through the coal mine with, and, and the canary falls off the helmet, you are obligated to investigate it. That's what that's all about. And well have, that's the part uh, that i find
0: so astonishing is that you know i i you know i watch all this conversation in the british parliament and in our congressional hearings about excess mortality this has been documented for the last what are we rolling into like two right. years now with excess mortality and right. nobody's systematically trying to explain that except this data trickling well rolling out uh, about the deleterious effects of covid which i'm sure there are But there's got to be other things going on here.
1: Let me ask you this, Sasha. Are you aware in your 25 years of of experience uh, managing and overseeing clinical trials, have you ever witnessed the use of a drug or therapeutic in groups of people on whom that drug or therapeutic was never tested?
2: No, and that, that's a big no, no, you know, as you understand, and, and oftentimes manufacturers don't want to, you know, for example, they, they don't want to have uh, a, a, like bad reactions. And then that gets gets uh, that the drug gets associated with those reactions because they haven't tested and uh, and then and then they get, you know, this, you know, bad publicity for their product. So they're they're themselves trying to avoid that typically of going into the populations that haven't been tested. Now, there's obviously also been cases where there's sort of off-label promotion and, and so forth, so that also exists. But in the clinical trials, it's really, really strict because right. there are very severe repercussions if you uh, if you are doing it and if you are like giving it to, to a person for whom you know, and then it can be traced through your documentation and your internal data that you knew that that was a, a counter yet you've enrolled that person. For example, for example, you know, the pregnancy is a huge thing. You know, you have to yes. do pregnancy testing uh, to two types of contraception. If you, if it hasn't been tested on uh, in pregnancy, then during the clinical trials, we have huge safeguards. You know, not only we test them for pregnancy, we give, you know, we, uh, consent them so that they don't, they're not planning to get pregnant. We require contraception. We require, I mean, lots and lots of precautions. Nobody ever goes straight into pregnant women without uh, this right. this product being approved for it.
1: In fact, as, as Drew will tell you, when you're a medical student, uh, you could always make a little cash on the side by volunteering to be a subject in any number of different kinds of ongoing uh, trials. And it was always very frustrating to, to the women in our class uh, that you could really not re- sign up for anything. It was all the guys who could do it. The guys could make 50 bucks, you know, eating six raw oysters and writing down, you know, their, their gastrointestinal <laughs> side effects or, or they could do these things. And the women never could because as a, simply out of an abundance of, precaution, of caution that you could potentially either be pregnant or be thinking about getting mm-hmm. pregnant, you couldn't even be a subject in the experiment. Same thing. If mm-hmm. you look at these COVID, uh, the minimal testing that was done, the paucity of testing that was done, specifically pregnant women, people with autoimmune diseases, the elderly, children, and importantly, anyone who had already had and recovered from COVID was specifically eliminated from those trials. So the mm-hmm. idea, as you say, and it's so important, you more than anyone, Sasha, know that the sacrosanct law in designing a clinical trial as whoever was included in the clinical trial, the results of that trial then can only be applied to those same groups of people. Yet they absolutely breached that from the start.
2: Yes, and I also want to say about the pregnancy specifically, I reviewed uh, preclinical packages both that were foia both for uh, Moderna and for Pfizer. They were atrocious. They were full of fraud. They tested irrelevant test substances, called the test for their product. For Moderna specifically, they admitted that they're in their single only GMP compliance study, uh, or GLP rather, good laboratory practice compliance study in rats in pregnancy, they demonstrated skeletal malformations in the babies and they admitted to statistically significant increase in those skeletal malformations in Mm -hmm. vaccinated rats. And that was uh, FDA had that in their possession in 2021. And they put on the label of Moderna specifically that there are no vaccine-related skeletal malformations. So they lied on behalf of Moderna. This uh, data was not available until it got FOIA through a lawsuit. So we had to wait over a year for it to come out. In the meantime, as you remember, FDA and CDC and everyone aggressively propagandized uh, pregnant women mandated them if they were health workers, mandated them if they were you know police uh, or uh, other uh, government employees. And that that was, in my mind, that was an atrocity. It's an atrocity because they knew they knew that that this is dangerous. Right. You know, and in so, fact, we- it's my understanding that
1: Pfizer Pfizer has even said is that there is not adequate information in order to give informed consent in pregnancy for these, for their products. So this entire Absolutely. thing has been, uh, I mean, it, it, to me, it, it falls under the, um, it, not just bad manufacturing or bad. It, this is evil as far as I'm concerned. Uh, and I think it's hard to come to any conclusion other than the one you said, which is that it's purposeful. Yeah. I, I don't know how you mm-hmm. come to any other conclusion. I, I really don't. Um, that clock's ticking down and i want to spend the last little bit sort of picking your brain or getting your thoughts insights about where this is going and what i mean that with that is do you believe there will be fundamentally accountability will it uh, happen through lawsuits will it ha- how is this going to unfold in the next year years
2: I honestly can't um, predict that because the legal uh, battles have been largely unsuccessful so far. And this is because, you know, I can go into another hour discussion on this, but as I said, the laws that are being utilized here preempting any judicial review and even Congress abandoned their power with respect to this on paper. None of this is constitutional, by the way. Congress has power and they do not have power to give up their power, but they did. And uh, so w- what needs to happen, in my opinion, is uh, either Congress needs to act, although that's kind of not very hopeful here, but states can act. States have their own legislations, uh, legislator uh, uh, bodies, and uh, many states have uh, laws, relevant laws that they can uh, enforce uh, the, the manufacturing non compliance. Uh, call them adulterated products, seize them. Uh, so many sta- states can act. Uh, even local judges can act. Uh, local law enforcement can act because this is a crime that has been ongoing and it, it continues until somebody says stop. And somebody needs to I be have a question. stepping in.
0: Why why aren't other... I mean, there's every country in the world is involved in this, essentially nearly every country in any event. Why aren't other countries raising concerns or doing their own investigations?
2: Some countries have some uh, legislators from Europe. Uh, as you know, they, they had many hearings on this. There are some that are much more vocal than others. Uh, I know many countries already are uh, either outright prohibiting it for children or not recommending. So they right. basically started rolling back the programs. Uh, because they realize how dangerous they are. Uh, I honestly, you know, (laughs) I mostly focus on U.S., but I do have some interactions with uh, international communities, and we see the same pattern, the same laws being utilized, the same militarized structures. But as I said, other countries have made some strides in rolling back these dangerous uh, products. Yes, Australia,
1: you know, you Drew, Australia just came out. Uh, and given that their original stance was, you know, get vaccinated or off with your head or be locked in your house, you know, yeah. for the rest of time, they are now no yes. longer recommending vaccines for anybody under the age of 60 if you are not immunocompromised. So they've done a 180. They are scrambling to get on the right side of history, from what I can tell. Um, but I, I think Sasha's right. I think that the United States is not alone with regard to the, the weaponization of this entire product. Um, last questions, Drew, I'll give it. I, you've given me lots of time today, so I, which I appreciate. I had so much I wanted to talk to Sasha about, but uh, last questions on your end.
0: Uh, I, I wonder if we wanted to take a couple of calls here. We have people that uh, have lots of strong feelings. Do you, would that be a possibility? <laughs> You guys up for that? Sure, Always good with me. Okay, let's do it really very quick. This is uh, Bianca. uh, And give her a chance to speak. We're getting these off Twitter spaces if people want to raise their hand there and be a speaker. What's that, Susan? Oh, (laughs) she's going to change the lighting in here. Uh, Bianca, you have to (laughs) unmute your mic in the lower left-hand corner there. I thought I heard her. If not, if that doesn't uh, step in, I might have to put you back in the audience there. Okay, I'm There on. you are. There you are. What's happening?
2: I'm watching you guys on Roku. Thank you so much, Dr. Drew. I appreciate your show and your honesty and your humility and your um, desire to put the truth out there, uh, be it what it is. Even if you disagree, which at the beginning I, I noticed that you were like all of us, we didn't know what was going on, so thank you. my question to Sasha is what
0: how does what's going on with the um, CBdc or cdbc or the 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 uh, pandemic uh, uh, agreement accord how is that? Going to is it going
2: to affect the future, and more importantly, what can we do to stop it? Because if this was bad, it's going to be on steroids. Are you talking it's about the to, Are you talking
0: about the World Health Organization uh, agreement? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's okay. what I think. Yes. Okay, thank you, thank you, Bianca, Sasha. Yeah.
2: Uh, yes, absolutely. So this uh, World Health Organization health regulations that they want to uh, push through uh, complete—it's—it's it's an atrocity. It's basically solidification of uh, what has transpired so far into law, into international law. And then uh, you know, not only Congress gives up their power; actually, entire U.S. government gives up their power. And as long as the WHO wants to declare pandemic based on potential pathogen, a plant pathogen, something that's, you know, and they de- will declare you a danger to uh, trees, and then they can quarantine you to track and trace, do all sorts of, uh, it's just the, the, the way it's written, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, if it wasn't so scary, it would be very funny. Uh, yeah. But uh, <laughs> what, yeah, I, you know, <laughs> Was- it's your
0: point, I saw President President Xi today say directly to Putin, uh, you know, we are going to make things happen here, okay. and he said things are happening fast. We've not had an opportunity like this in a hundred years.
2: Right? Hmm. Oh yes, absolutely. Interesting. hundred years ago in it,
0: China. Hmm.
2: Yes, every every totalitarian uh, dream is coming true with these uh, with these uh, international health regulations. Now, what we also need to understand largely they're already in place. So, what they have done in the past uh, two and a half, three years. That's, that's basically what they want to do uh, in perpetuity. And that's why they want to uh, enshrine it into law, into international law. Uh, and what we can do is write to our uh, Congress people, our representatives, uh, express your disagreement with it very loudly on social media everywhere. Uh, these uh, agents operate only in secrecy, in darkness, when people are not paying attention. Uh, Once they see us uh, being vocal about it, pushing back and, uh, uh, you know, people have done things like serving notice, notice of uh, I'm not going to comply even to your local sheriff uh, or recorded in your county. You know, I'm not going to comply with any of this because uh, by constitution, none of this applies to me, which is true. Uh, uh, So that's that's what we can do. We can we can um, be we can resist it. Uh, and resisted very vocally and outright on, on social media everywhere. Uh, th- then, uh, you know, there are some, some breaks that, keep, that can be put in. And also people become more aware when somebody is trying to slip something like this through, uh, let's say, uh, funding. That's their favorite mechanism. They will send funding directly to schools towns, uh, universities take a lot of money from the US government, and that comes with terms and conditions that they, they will comply with, uh, with uh, measures like this. So that's where we have to be vigilant and pay attention to how our money is being st- spent, what our towns and schools and uh, police departments are signing up to, and just be involved in your community.
0: Well, Sasha, we uh, greatly appreciate you coming in here and talking to Dr. Victory and myself. But uh, really, more importantly, I'm so glad you came out of retirement to start rattling the cage to bring certain concerns. Uh, and and I, I trust you will continue to sort of raise these issues as they come up. Are, are you gaining, just to sort of wrap up, are you gaining any traction? Is there anyone uh, on the regulatory side or on the uh, elected official side that is uh, listening to your concerns?
2: Yes, there have been several. Senator Johnson, I've interacted with him, for example, uh, many times. Uh, has been very uh, receptive, and as you know, he's he's had several very uh, important hearings, and we hope that that will continue. Uh, we we've, we've spoken to several other Congress people. Uh, we have interactions at um, with legislators at state levels, uh, and those are progressing very very well and so i think there there's a momentum being uh, built right now and it's going in the right direction
0: Kelly, any uh, last I, thoughts
1: yeah just i i think it's so important and i appreciate you so much it is as i said at the beginning it, this cannot be done simply by physicians it's voices like yours and your experience decades of experience in research and design with pharmaceutical companies, it's Edward Dowd and his ability to understand numbers, having no science background. It's Bobby Kennedy with his decades of experience mm-hmm. in vaccinology and and issues with vaccines. It cannot be. This is not a war that can be won just by physicians. Physicians are lousy generally at, in the first place at doing this. They're not used to fighting these battles. And I appreciate your involvement in this because we need this to be. This is an all hands on deck, or we are going to uh, we're going to succumb. So
2: thank you. Absolutely. Thank, thank you so much for thank,
0: inviting thank me. Really thank it. Thank you, Saj. Thank you for you're being so generous with your time with us. And Dr. Victory, you mentioned Ed Dowd, I'm going to talk to him on Friday, get a review of his numbers yeah, I'll and be then there. on Wednesday, Tuesday. Tuesday I think we're going to have uh, Robert Kennedy come in. Is that correct? Am I getting that? Yes, accurately I, No, so? you're
1: correct. You you are correct. I'm on these next two shows. I'll be with you on Friday with Ed Dowd with an update on lots of uh the, the data that he's continuing to to uncover. Uh it gets I hate to break it to you. Spoiler alert, it gets worse and worse. It does not get better uh with uh, regard to disability it's, data.
0: It's so and, hard uh, for me. I, I, I gotta tell you, I because I, I read all sides and I I some data looks good. Looks well, in fact, two rosy. That's what bothers me about some of the data. I, I've noticed one two distinct things that are happening in the in the literature that's there's there's a people making the case that om- that COVID is so dangerous and all the excess problems we're seeing here from COVID and yet they seem to make no distinction between Alpha, Delta, and Omicron, uh, and all their research is from Alpha and Delta, and these are different illnesses. And then the vaccine research looks too rosy, where no one's having any vaccine injuries, and that just doesn't pass the sniff test. I mean, anybody who's given the vaccine has seen vaccine injuries. It's just... The way it is, it happens a lot. Of, 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 uh, of
1: course, and the and the data do not lie, and, and Ed's really got uh, his arms around that, not only the adverse event, data, just the disability data, all of it, and he's understanding the timeline that I think really further dispels this issue of, was it just COVID? Because it clearly is tied to the vaccines and the uh, rollout of the vaccines into those countries that are most highly vaccinated. I've said from the beginning, one only needs to look at sub-Saharan Africa Africa, where they are not experiencing any of this, um, these adverse events, and they did have COVID. So, um, you know, you, you simply cannot explain away the data. And then we've got, as you said, we've got Bobby Kennedy coming back, and I'm super excited for that on Tuesday, the 28th. Um, so we're going to hear about everything he's working on, which is uh, unbe- unbelievable. He, he's really been in the trench way before COVID, as you know, uh, but he brings so much mm. to this discussion
0: okay well kelly Uh, as always thank you and we'll see you on friday at three o'clock susan is that correct timing yep three o'clock pacific time six o'clock eastern and uh have a good couple days we'll see you all then on friday
1: thanks talk soon
0: ask dr drew is produced by caleb nation and susan pinsky as a reminder the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care diagnosis or treatment this show is intended for educational and informational purposes only